friends, and welcome to Northern Static, the show where Canadian composers tell us about the state of their art. I'm bassist and composer Pete Johnston, coming to you from Central Upper Canada. On this show, I talk to composers from a range of musical scenes to find out how they make their music, why it sounds the way it does, and most importantly, what they think we should be listening for when we hear it. In this episode, I talk to composer and trumpet player Nicole Rompersad. Nicole's music is based on an exploration of the sonic possibilities of the trumpet, and over the last few years, she has focused on composing solo music that expands audiences' expectations of what a trumpet can do. Nicole Rompersad, coming up next on Northern Static. Welcome to episode six of the show. The concept for the show is simple. I sit down and talk with composers about their creative processes, and they play some compositions of their choice as examples of what they do. Think of it as a group listening session, where the creator of the music is there to guide us through how and why they make the music they do. Nicole Rompersad's curiosity about her chosen instrument has made her one of the most interesting and in-demand musicians in Canadian experimental music. I met Nicole in the early 2000s, when we were both trying to learn to play bebop jazz at the University of Toronto. She was a lot more successful at learning the jazz music than I, but after graduating, her music took a decidedly left turn, away from standard song forms and chord changes into a deep engagement with the trumpet as a sound-generating object. Nicole's studies at the New England Conservatory in Boston solidified her commitment to free improvisation, and when she returned to Toronto, she plugged herself back into the small but lively improvised music scene here. Over the last decade, Nicole has played in some of Toronto's most adventurous groups, most notably Ken Aldcroft's Convergence Ensemble, Curl with Alison Cameron and Jermaine Liu, and a duo with pianist Marilyn Lerner, intriguingly called Brass Knuckle Sandwich. Alongside her work as a side person and collaborator, Nicole has developed a distinct practice as a solo improviser. The trumpet is a demanding instrument, and playing an improvised solo set is a considerable challenge. I've had the good fortune of hearing Nicole play solo a number of times, and I'm always struck by the focus and attention to sonic detail in her performances. After a recent performance, I asked her how she had developed her approach to free improvisation in a solo context. And she surprised me by saying that much of what she had played were compositions. Many of the details were improvised, but a lot of the territory she explored had been mapped out in advance. As I had wrongly assumed that what I was hearing was freely improvised, I wanted to know more about her composing practice. For many years, Nicole was a vital presence in the improvised music scene in Toronto. A move last year to Eastern Canada has her bringing her relentless sonic curiosity to the lucky listeners out there. But I was sure to get her into the studio for a chat before she took that secret journey east. As we like to do here, we'll start the show with a little bit of Nicole Rompersaw's music and then get into our discussion. Here's a piece called Clydesdale by Ken Allcroft from the record Sneaky Pete Slugs by Ken's Convergence Ensemble. This piece is a duo between Nicole and drummer Joe Sobera. Thank you. 
Nicole Rompersad, trumpeter, improviser, composer. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. We've known each other for a long time, and, and in that time, we've primarily known you as an improviser. And we had a conversation a couple months ago about some solo trumpet music that you were composing, and I want to know more about that. So we'll start there, see, uh, <laughs> see what you can tell us about it. I guess with solo trumpet, I really started to explore it while I was doing my master's in Boston. And it was a way for me to more so explore the instrument itself. And I didn't really write so much as just almost develop a practice. And maybe my quote unquote compositions were more etudes, you know, to work on extended technique at the time. And were there things that you wrote down or memorized or? Some things I wrote down. Sometimes it wasn't traditional music notation. A lot of times it was sort of instructions of if I was trying to do multiphonics, you know, what, what are some ways that I could do that? Working a lot with the harmonic series, trying to stretch that. And I guess I kind of kept that practice going, you know, well after I, I graduated. And at the old somewhere there, Scott Thompson's original space, he had residencies that were two months long. And I just floated the idea of, could I do a residency where I just workshop a bunch of material? So as a way of deepening that practice, but also start to think of it more compositionally. And so I did, and that was, that was great. And I used that opportunity to sort of write down more formal, I guess, compositions. Well, what do you mean by formal compositions? What does that mean to you? So as opposed to, you know, making notes of things that I needed to do physically to replicate a sound, you know, maybe representing sort of what a piece could be, whether it, it's traditional music notation, writing melodies, or using or developing a graphic notation. Hmm. That could be a combination, or it ended up being a combination of uh, trying to represent textures, trying to represent this idea of sound versus no sound. So how do you represent that on a, on a piece of paper? By no sound, do you simply mean not, not playing? Mm -hmm. So what's the sound that's going to happen in a certain time? And then what sound is not going to happen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for, for a certain time? Yeah. And you mentioned about the alternate notation, but you just said something about notes to yourself about how physically to replicate a sound. Like, do you have an example of something you would write down or a way to remind yourself about the physical movements or, or posture you need to make to make a certain sound? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, uh, it was literally, I, I wish I brought it. It was this notebook of, you know, if I wanted to make a split tone, whether it's sort of in the higher range or, you know, mid-range, what do I need to do with my embouchure? And then how do I adjust if I want to switch between sort of a split multiphonic sound to sort of a pure tone and making a note of that. And other examples sort of came up as I was improvising, you know, during that residency of what happens if my trumpet fills with condensation, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the polite way of saying split, right? right? <laughs> you know, what are some sounds that I could get from that? So yeah, it was literally just a list of, of instructions. Yeah. And did you find, I guess what I'm curious is, if, did you find yourself able to reproduce it based on your reading of it later? Surprisingly, yes. Okay. I know, because <laughs> in some cases I would, you know, kind of read it and it's like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know what I mean there. But in a, in a good number of cases, I, I was able to. And so that helped me develop my technique for sure. You know, as I developed that, I could incorporate that into compositions in a way so yeah it almost started like a, a practice that developed into 
composing. Just back to you're, you're sort of formalizing that a little bit. It seems this particular repertoire you're talking about, the intention is to perform it yourself. Mm -hmm. So are you thinking of formalizing in such a way that somebody else could play it? Or is it more of a, a memory aid for yourself or a guide, what have you? Yeah, I think that's very much been phase two of just, I guess, this process I'm in where I'm trying to codify my language, I guess. And, you know, for me, the, the third phase, not necessarily the final, but sort of the next stage is how do I then make that a piece that anyone could foreseeably play? And uh, also using things like recording, how can that be approached compositionally as well? But that's definitely sort of the transition I'm in right now where I'm sort of thinking of this material that I've sort of sort of been a way of codifying what I'm trying to do and then translating that to a piece that I could theoretically publish and have someone else play. Yeah, it's just occurring to me. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it, about this before, but like whatever the door to walk through from being an improviser to being a composer, this is a big part of it. The idea that the composition could be performed by somebody else or if you're not there, mm -hmm. where I think most improvisers probably compose, but, but generally for themselves mm -hmm. to play. But if you are thinking about it as a piece that somebody else could do, that that's a shift. Yeah, because it, it forces me to think of those things differently. So for all that I have this list of instructions, let's say that I've then translated to a graphic score, that means something to me. And I could write a list of instructions for what each symbol represents. Mm -hmm. But ultimately it's, you know, that individual is going to interpret it in a different way. And mm -hmm. that, that interests me too. Yeah. Right. And finding a way to have the stuff be replicated mm -hmm. more or less. Mm -hmm. Are you developing particular kinds of notation beyond text, for example, to get at these things? Like, you know, the Bartok pit symbol sort of thing or, or the like? Yeah. And I've been experimenting with that. I've got lots of notebooks and been experimenting with different materials even. There was one winter we were in New Brunswick and saw these birch trees with kind of the bark mm -hmm. falling off. And so I picked a bunch of that and I was like, hmm. You know, there was a pattern already on there. Could I could I mess with that? And what mm. what could that literally literal sort of different texture? You've got paper, and then you've got this bark as mm -hmm. well. What could that mean to someone? And wow, yeah, yeah. Because when I was studying with Bar Phillips, the bass player, he he at that time was working with somebody who was helping him codify what he does in in developing different notations that a composer could use to get similar effects i don't know where he ever got with that project i suppose i should call him and ask because <laughs> it was interesting he just had a friend who was doing this trying to come up with a system to then you could plug it in i guess in the composition and just say you know do that yeah <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. um when did you start composing like is it something that you started out doing or you've come to more recently like you and i've only ever talked about it more recently but i don't know if it's something you've been doing for a while yeah, I've been composing, I'd say off and on, you know, for the better part of almost 10 years, I guess. Okay. For And I've always sort of approached composing based on specific ensembles, instrumentation, uh, and specific people. Um, so when I was at NEC in Boston, I had a quintet and a, and a quartet, and I, I wrote for them specifically. So the pieces that I I ended up with were for those specific musicians. 
in mind. Hmm. Yeah, I guess over the years I haven't really done that as much. Like right for an ensemble, you mean? Yeah, for a specific group of people. Kind of did that with uh, projects I had with uh, Evan Shaw, with Jean Martin, Tomas Krakowiak, and Wes Neal, Evan and I. And I think that was maybe the last time where I wrote for a specific ensemble. So it's been primarily solo. Mm-hmm. You did mention something about an ensemble you did out in Halifax, right? Was that mm-hmm. was that that music or something else? Uh, no, I wrote. Thank you for reminding me. I did write music specific for that ensemble too. And what was interesting was I only knew Tim Crofts in that ensemble, and so pianist, I, pianist yeah, Tim Crofts, pianist Tim Crofts, the one and only. <laughs> but there was also you know a trombone player and a percussionist who I'd never met, and and so that was interesting because that was that was a first for me um, to write pieces without knowing the players per se. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what we were talking about earlier is, is very much a direct engagement with the physicality of the of the trumpet, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of how you put it. Obviously, if you're writing for an ensemble, that's going to be a different thing. So mm-hmm. were you thinking differently compositionally in writing for this particular group or even the earlier group than your solo exploration of the trumpet? Definitely approached it from a almost definitely not looking at it from the physicality of a given instrument, but thinking of the the sonic possibilities. So knowing Tim as an example and how brilliant he is with you know specific extended techniques that that he does, that served as a great basis for a lot of the compositions, I suppose. And then almost imagining what could you know two brass players you know blended with that sound like, mm. and then percussion as well and then planning for the concert you know trying to think of sort of a long form I guess sort of this continuous thing you know with these sort of pieces intermingled right Mm -hmm. is there something about composing more like because you've been primarily improvising for a very long time is there something that sort of inspired you to start composing stuff and to think in those terms Yep. It was kind of born out of me getting burnt out with improvising in a way. I want to say about two years ago, I kind of felt like I was doing the same thing over and over again. No matter the setting, whether I was playing solo or playing in an ensemble, uh, any given ensemble, just felt like I was doing the same thing and that didn't sit well for me. So I thought, what if I sort of put some concerted effort into unpacking what it is I'm doing if I feel like it's the same. And maybe within there, how can I take an idea or two and stretch it and explore within there the possibilities? Hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're using it as a way to shake things up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And had you been doing a lot of solo improvising at that point? Not a lot. Uh, actually, it's only been since maybe last year where it's kind of picked up again. But prior to that, it had kind of died down. You know, I right. wasn't really doing much. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And was there particular models that you're drawing from or, or, or inspirations for composing in the way that you're doing other artists or records that you heard that, that shaped how you've gone about doing any of this? Yeah, I think Anthony Braxton has been, right. you know, a big, big influence for sure. Thank you. 
Peter Evans, too, I've been really in awe of everything that he does. He's, yes, he's a strange dark wizard of the yeah, trumpet. Yes, he is. You know, Axel Derner as well. Those are some that come to mind, but yeah, definitely Anthony Braxton, just this. Um, what about Braxton's music? That yeah, uh, I guess the idea of you sort of have this piece, I mean, I'm simplifying, and within a performance you can have these other things kind of interrupt what's happening or disrupt what's happening. I think Ken Oldcroft's music was very much an influence for me too, you know, playing in the Convergence Ensemble, so that idea of, okay, so we're improvising, but there's these pieces that can come in at certain points, maybe they're arrival points or departure points. Right, um, or disruption. Or disruption. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And did you study with Braxton? I didn't study with Braxton, but had the fortune of playing his music. There was that AIM Toronto Orchestra. Right, here. yes, he came to Toronto and did uh, mm -hmm. did some things and yeah. made the record. Yeah, and that same year at the Festival of New Trumpet Music, which has been going on, I think, for 15 years, 10, 15 years. One of the years they presented his piece for Seven Trumpets. And uh, we were costumed. Yeah, someone designed costumes, and and it was a continuous piece. Everyone had different parts, and same idea. So, at certain points, you had these disruptions that would just kind of happen, and uh, it was it was great. Mm -hmm. You so you were one of the players on this on mm -hmm. this. Wow. So how did that come about? Taylor Hobynum, who's a cornet right. player, he was one of the curators of that festival for a few years. He had asked if I would be open to presenting my quintet from Boston, which we did. And that was great. And they had a, a couple couple spots that they needed to fill for, for the trumpet piece. And it was part of sort of a brass program of like Braxton's brass music, basically. So there was a brass quintet and then there was this piece for, for seven trumpets. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can just take us back to your composing and just thinking about like a, a day in the life of doing creative work, like when you do it and how you put it together and what sort of structures or methods you use to pull the stuff together. Mm. It can be a challenge to fit it in. And I've, I've had to work really hard to figure out a space for it. Not so much a physical space, but I guess a mental space. So these days I have a notebook. I have two notebooks that I take with me to and from, whether it's work or to and from rehearsals. And I make sure that I, I carve out at least 20 minutes a day and just, mm. and just write. And that was something that uh, one of my composition teachers at NEC sort of stressed was to find that time 
to to write and not place any judgments on it. So oftentimes my my practice these days is, you know, on a streetcar or on a bus to and from somewhere. So are you writing on music notation sketches or kind of graphic-y or text kind of things? All of the above. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I do have time, you know, with the instrument, I'll make sure that I've got those notebooks there too. And it can be a matter of reviewing on the horn, you know, what I'm, what I've written over the course of a week or what have you, and almost kind of doing a, a workshop, if you will. And then elaborate. Like workshop through your own Yeah, <laughs> your workshop through my own material. I know. <laughs> wow. I'm really, um, yeah. <laughs> this is all about me. No, yeah, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> so you're writing in transit. Yeah. If that's true, that's what we do in Toronto all the time. You got to do something on the bus. <laughs> yeah, you got to. Otherwise, you, I don't know. I just stare off into the distance or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Earlier, before we uh, hit record here, you're talking about doing some recording and using, mm-hmm. a, using a Zoom recorder do some things um maybe tell me about that because that seems a different thing again from taking notes yeah so i guess the part of sort of this next phase of you know whether it's writing a score that someone could conceivably replicate i've struggled with how to document my solo compositions i tried recording actually uh, a few years ago you know rented out a space in a church and Rented out some equipment and you know set it up, did the thing, and I wasn't happy with it at all. And what were you happy about? Because I, I I know you've got <laughs> considerable skills on yeah. in terms of recording and yeah. the software and the like. Yeah, I think for me I was too much in sort of recording mode, so making sure the mics were placed just so. And right, it's really hard to switch gears mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you're doing all the recording yourself. That's right. Mm. So I've been, you know, struggling with, you know, how to approach it. And I think people have said, you know, you should, you should record this stuff. You know, people, people want to hear it. And I guess also because up until this point, a lot of what is recorded, it's all live. And so for me, performing these pieces live is very different to almost a, a recorded environment. And I've been trying to negotiate the two, I guess. Like different, different in your own experience or different in your intentions that you bring to them? Both. So, you know, different in, in the experience in that you've got an audience, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, your optimism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and different in my intentions too. So, you know, I definitely, when I'm performing these pieces, I almost treat them as if they were layered on top of each other. And I think of them more spatially as opposed to linearly. And I guess that's the other struggle with recording. Uh, you mean, sorry, yeah. to stop you there. Just yeah. uh, you mean you have a couple, a bunch in mind, and and they're and you're moving in and out of them. Is that what you mean? Yeah, or sometimes doing them at the same time too. Whoa. Yeah. And I guess with recording, it feels very linear to me, and so I've been, I guess, kind of trying to figure out how to approach it. I guess. And maybe I'm being too precious about it. I don't know. But part of getting that Zoom recorder, and this goes back to this other phase, is almost treating the recording process as as composing in of itself. So the idea being, got this Zoom recorder. I record some some things, almost like 
a composition. I would just record it and, you know, using a recording software, it could be logic, could be something else, you know, kind of use that as a way of adding color, if you will, or yeah. Like adding sounds or editing bits together that you've recorded? Yeah, both. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking of the recording almost sounds similar to this kind of sketchbook idea and then, mm -hmm. but then you're using kind of in the box stuff to, to build it. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And how's that been? Very early stages right now. So too soon to tell, I guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, you know, um, a lot of improvisers struggle with this idea of, of recording. I don't think too many people now, but sort of classically this, this notion that, that it had to be live. Right? It seems now that more improvisers and more, more of us, I guess, are thinking about the recording as a kind of distinct thing and not necessarily requiring that to be a live representation of, of something. And, and, and I know in my own work of recording being its own thing mm -hmm. entirely, is that, is that kind of what you're getting at arriving to as well? Yes, very much so. And that feels better to me, I guess, as opposed to trying to replicate everything that happens in a live show in a studio or in a non-live situation, I guess. Right. Just treating that as something different and exploring what possibilities are there. So what does that give you, that difference then? Like, why is that appealing to you right now, do you think? I guess with performing, it's so in the moment and things can pivot on a dime. I guess with recording, I don't have to be so in the moment. I can really take one thing and explore it, stretch it. Different time scale. Mm -hmm. And do the stakes feel different too around being less concerned about getting it right or something if you know you get more time when you're when you're recording it yourself i don't know yeah i guess so i haven't really thought about that but yeah i suppose what do you think the listener could get out of it or what you know if somebody's listening to your pieces what would you like them to hear it's funny i just thought of uh, phil nimmons you would say form you know right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're supposed to hear is yes form, form yes really? yeah okay yeah some sort of form and what does that mean in the context of your music form could be an arc maybe there's theme and variation or maybe clarity in specific things whether it's just doing multiphonics as an example or different you know exploring the breath you know through the trumpets form within there there's yeah i go back to arc i guess yeah mm -hmm. so arc arc within a like if you're in a specific zone for a while that mm -hmm. there's an arc within that zone mm -hmm. what did phil mean I think pretty, you know, something something similar, you know, right. that that everything kind of ties together somehow. Maybe that's what I'm trying to do too. And do you go for something similar in your improvising? Mm -hmm. Very much so. So thinking long term. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. I know. I know. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be in the moment. I well, you know, it is. But you can definitely feel when something reaches its conclusion, right? Um, is that part of the cool. discipline to you around as, as an improviser to, to, to be catching those things or sort of thinking a few steps ahead to see where it's going? Sometimes, yep. Right. <laughs> and how's that shift when you're playing with other people? Yeah, it definitely adds a level of chaos. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> surprise. Uh, yeah, surprise for sure. But definitely just being tuned in to, to what's happening. So it's weird. You're, you have to be in the moment. Maybe it's through experience. You can kind of sense... An arrival or something. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Because I guess that's what, I mean, you've had several groups that have been together for a long time and maybe that's a discipline that develops together when groups have been playing for a long time around catching those endings or feeling bad when you don't. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe now's a good time to, to listen to some tunes. You've brought a few things along. I think. Yeah. I hope. Yeah, I've got a couple things. And are they solo pieces or group? They are all solo pieces. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll get wired up here. Um, What would you, what can we listen to first? So they're all numbered and maybe we'll listen to number two. How about that? Number two. Okay. (laughs) This is solo trumpet number two. Here we go.
So that was number three. Yes. We deduced. Yes. Not number two. Yes. So what was it about that piece that made you bring it to the show? I thought it was a good representation of sort of how I approach it when I'm playing those pieces live and how quickly things can pivot throughout the course of that performance. So is there more than one piece in there? Is that what, you, is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's I think four pieces in there. Some are happening you know, at the same time. Some of the pieces, I'll say, are instructions, you know, so whether it's play a melody or play melodically using multiphonics or using a particular mute or play in the upper range, split tones, as many, as many notes as you can get. So some of that is happening at the same time as other things. So 
So it's like you're taking the Braxton idea of multiple things that he would do across a group and but doing it solo. Yeah. So how does that work to do more than one piece at the same time on a single line instrument? <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I have been invited to, you know, play a solo set, I'll go in with a group of pieces in mind and we'll have sort of an arc in mind for sort of the sets and how it all unfolds sort of dictated by the moment. So you're asking about the clicking at one point, was that intentional? And initially it, it wasn't, but there's, there's a piece that I have that's just essentially all non traditional tonal sounds from a trumpet. So clicks, um, different types of breath sounds, even playing with a mute in the horn um, mm. to get different sounds. And so when that started to happen, I just sort of pivoted to that piece, if you will, and hmm. decided I'll, I'll go for it. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the whole, you know, Dizzy Gillespie played that wrong note once and just played it again and again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that it's right. Yeah. <laughs> how much, well, I guess I'm just wondering how much was composed and how much improvised with within that. So I get what you're saying, that the, mm -hmm. that the transition between pieces you have a general idea of what you're going to do and mm -hmm. then you're and then you're allowing those to as i understand what you're saying to, mm -hmm. to, to play out mm -hmm. as you're doing it but then within a given piece how are you thinking about proportioning or structuring the the improvising yeah i think the improvising in this case is how all of these things are fitting together but as far as the material goes i treat it as composed I guess. So there was some back and forth tonal sort of three, two notes going back and forth. And then this sort of scream, if you will. Mm -hmm. And those are two pieces kind of going back and forth. And then sort of the breath sort of click sounds is a piece as well, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So the improvising is, it feels like a larger scale formal blocks that you're putting together and, mm -hmm. and taking apart. But there must be improvising too within the, within the particular gestures yes like i can't imagine if i said to you okay play that again yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> you could it would say, take me a while yeah, yeah. you'd say yeah. okay here it is yeah some of the more non-traditional sounds i guess less tonal sounds more gestural is improvised so yes there's definitely imp improvising in there because you're working from a list of instructions basically mm -hmm. make the sound at this point make the sound at that point but Right. So yeah. do, do the various, no, well, that's my next question. Like, do the various chunks or, you know, bits that you're working with exist as, no, as notation? Some of them do. Yep. So this is kind of what you're talking about. Some, yeah. some being text and some maybe being notated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some being graphical in nature, some yeah, written instructions. And, and did that. you have that with you on, on stage? Uh, yeah, I had the notebook. For that set, I, I had sort of a stand off to the side with sort of my mutes that I was sort of interchanging. And I had sort of the notebook with sort of an order of a rough order of things I maybe wanted to do at a given time. Yeah. So this is a sort of composed thing because I've seen you play solo lots of times, mm -hmm. and um, maybe before this time when when you were doing entirely improvised mm -hmm. solo stuff. So you'd been doing that as well, right? Mm -hmm. or, or maybe not. Maybe you're maybe you've always been playing compositions. I just didn't notice because <laughs> I never asked. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's always been some com composition of some sort and I think earlier on it was maybe do this thing do that thing but nothing written down like not in traditional notation graphic or, or otherwise so that's all that's that's been part of the solo thing for a while mm -hmm. 
Wow. I just, I'm just uh, very intrigued by this idea of juxtaposing different pieces on one instrument. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, you know, <laughs> where it's hard to play more than two notes at once. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> You yeah. can do it as you did there, but it's not. Uh, yeah, it's it's <laughs> not everybody. Not yeah. everybody can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And not everybody can be certain about which two notes are going to come out. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it could just be all condensation. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Maybe I, I don't it's know. Pretty much. Yeah. Great. Well, maybe let's let's hear another one. Um, what number do you have next? Maybe it's number four. But yeah, it's sort of. Uh, same recording location, and this one's much shorter, um, but yeah. Okay, so another mm-hmm. live recording. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. here we go. Number four, Live at Array in Toronto. All right, number four. <laughs> okay, that's entirely a different situation there. So you're using some electronic sounds slash sound reinforcement, which was a surprise because that's not something we talked about or you hadn't mentioned this before. <laughs> Tell me more. Alison Cameron, wonderful human being, composer. Guest on the show. 
guest on the show, one third of Curl, the trio made up of myself and Allison and Jermaine Lou. She gifted me a little Honeytone mini amp with a contact mic a couple years ago now. And I have been experimenting with how to incorporate this into our sets, you know, with Curl and then maybe exploring with solo music. And that was a piece that I wrote using that amp as, as a mute. So hooking the contact mic onto the bell and then holding, cause you can fit it in your hand almost as a mute. Whoa. So a lot of those feedback tones, I kind of worked out how I needed to sort of strike almost the amp against the bell with the contact mic to get the specific pitch. Wow. Yeah. And just wrote a simple sort of melody and soloed off of it a little bit. But you may have noticed there was some elements that were in the, the previous piece as well, sort of tonally. But yeah, very much dealing with that tension of a feedback tone and then having this melody kind of line up at certain points too. Wow. Mm-hmm. So was there separation between what you compose and then you apply the honeytone amp to that? Or was it kind of of a piece, you know, you get the amp and figuring out what's going to work and then, you know, either remembering that or write it down. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the difference between composing this melody and then seeing how it sounds with this amplifier or or having it be a more coherent development. It was more of a coherent development. So I do have other pieces where I was like, okay, I'll try this piece with the amp. But then this was one that's very much, yeah, the amp is an instrument, if you will, right. too. Right. Mm-hmm. It was part of the composing mm-hmm. composing process. Mm-hmm. And is this something that you're able to notate? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that would be the instruction, you know, must have Honeytone amp. That's right. With right. contact mic. Right, right, right. Yes. Or just give them Allison Cameron's number. Yeah, say, exactly. Oh, you try this. Yeah. So that's a lot of Honeytone if you're using that and also with when you're playing with Allison. Mm-hmm. That's a deep Honeytone situation. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So um, is this something that you've explored a lot of, just the sort of general application of other sounding elements like beyond the world of mutes in the trumpet for example like miking it through an amp with pedals or anything like that is that something that you've done or or wanted to do definitely wanted to and still on the to-do list for sure because i got a great idea i don't think anybody's ever used a wah-wah pedal oh right yeah i should uh (laughs) i should check that out yeah 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 Yeah, there's just so much (laughs) with the trumpet acoustically that I feel like I haven't even begun to explore that. The idea of bringing in pedals and an amp just seems daunting to me. Right. Whereas this you little, you take a cab too, you know. You know and <laughs> it's like, oh, just my whole setup is ruined. Yeah, you know? but I think that amp, there was just something initially kind of chaotic and still a little chaotic to it because I can make a note of, oh, have this knob at this setting, hold it at this angle, but it still may not come out the way I want. Right. Much like the trumpet, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, got mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's a whole other thing to get into mm-hmm. other other kinds of electronics. Um, it's a real dollars and cents commitment. Uh, yes. <laughs> if nothing else, if not just, yeah. if not just carrying... Uh, Lots of gear. Carrying, carrying this stuff around. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, those are two very different things. So it's... Uh, and is that sort of one... You know, you're talking about the compositional layering in the previous one. Was this just sort of one piece here? Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. What are some of your artistic challenges you're sort of 
thinking about or dealing with things you've thought about or moved through or, or feel the need to tackle now? Challenges. Well, I mean, the trumpet's a challenge. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be a lifelong challenge. Right. I guess I enjoy playing in so many different types of settings. I know I've sort of been primarily in the improvised world for many years. And I think some of the challenges for me is not so much how do I break out of that, but how do I incorporate some of the other things that I'm, I, I really enjoy and such as? I mean, anything. I mean, I love playing with eucalyptus. I played in a calypso band for a few years and sort of this summer thing that I would do. And, and that's great. And then composing for other ensembles too. Like yeah. other ensembles that you, that you play in as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's always a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So wind down a little bit here, but what do you see as the role of music and musicians in the, in the kind of world as it is today oh wow <laughs> what kind of, you know responsibilities might we have or uh what can we do why are we here i don't know i ask myself this every day no, <laughs> no. i don't know if i can answer on behalf of all musicians but no no you don't yeah. have to answer on behalf of yourself okay <sighs> okay or just trumpet players just okay just trumpet players no, no. oh god whoa <laughs> as a trumpet player no right. um connecting people Mm. Uh, and connecting with people, I won't get too political, but you know, there's, yeah, please do. There's, there's, there's you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, not so nice things happening in the world, and mm -hmm. I think music can be maybe a break from that, a disruption, maybe, maybe we're here to disrupt and interrupt what's happening and connect with people in a different way. Sounds wise. <laughs> maybe does it? No, I don't know. I mean, we gotta try to. Try, uh, try to connect and, uh, you know, whatever, leave the house more often or something. Yeah, I got to do that too. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, thanks so much really for sharing your, your music and, and, and telling me about it and getting to listen to it with you is a real privilege. Thanks oh. for sharing it. Oh, likewise, Pete. It was, it was an honor to be a part of this. All right. Well, we'll call it quits there. And any plugs you'd like to make? Do you have any, uh, any recordings coming up or anything? So uh, where can we find you? Where can you find me? Hopefully at a show. Finally releasing some solo recordings over the upcoming months. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've been working on those and mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll, uh, I'll, I'll find out somehow. Yeah. How we can all hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Online. Online. <laughs> It'll be on the internet. On, on the internet. It'll yes. It'll be on the internet. Okay. Okay. That's good. We'll plug it into the old uh, searching machine. Yes. And um, Nicole Rompersad, we can find her there. Thanks so much. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Bye. That's the show, friends. You can find some of Nicole's music on SoundCloud and on her website, NicoleRompersod.com. She has recently moved to the East Coast, so if you're lucky enough to find yourself out there, please go out to hear her if you get the chance. The content and sound quality of this show is the sole responsibility of me, Pete Johnston. But this time out, I did have the good fortune to have some editing assistance from Josh Kaplan. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this episode. More importantly, tell your friends to have a listen. I'm not on any social media, so I'm counting on you, dear listener, to spread the word. You can find out more about me on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, or on my website, PeteJohnston.com. To close out the show, here's a piece called Boogie Woogie to the Church from the supergroup Curl with Allison Cameron and Jermaine Liu. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for Episode 7, where I talk to composer and bassist Rob Clutton. Bye for now.
Thank <laughs> you.